Welcome to Fruit Snacks, a weekday podcast that covers big ideas about the Christian worldview in a bite-sized format. Hey everyone, hope you had a good weekend. We are kicking off this week in Fruit Snacks looking at another one of our big questions. We've already looked at three of our big questions. And just to do a a quick recap on those, the first was, why do we suffer for Adam's sin? And we talked about the different options there. And and personally, I land on the idea that we, we don't, that we suffer for our own sin, but that Adam's sin and rebellion put us in circumstances where we would inevitably uh, sin and rebel on our own, but we uh, inherit the guilt of our own sin, not Adam's. Next, we looked at the question of why do bad things happen to good people and came to the conclusion that if we're to believe Scripture and take it at its word, there really are no good people, not at least without God. And then last week, we looked at the question of what about those who never hear the gospel? And the sort of big idea that we came to as a result of that discussion was that God will ensure that those who would repent if they heard the gospel will hear the gospel, that God will make sure that those that he knows would repent will have the opportunity to do so. And therefore, if people never hear, it is because God knows that they wouldn't repent even if they did. Now, that leads us to our next big question, which is about hell, uh, another very difficult doctrine and one that I want to, again, not shy away from, but to really take a hard look at and come to a a biblically-based solution and answer for Uh, with regard to the question of how eternal punishment could possibly be fair. It is a traditionally understood position in Christianity that hell is forever and that it is eternal conscious torment that we're talking about when we talk about hell. Now, there are other positions out there, such as annihilationism, which is is growing in popularity uh, amongst some groups of Christians for sure. But I am personally convinced that the original traditional understanding of eternal conscious torment is that there's really no reason not to go with it. Uh, I do think that that is what the Bible teaches. And so we're going to attempt to answer the question as if that's the case. So first I want us to first I want us to consider this question which is probably one you, you may or may not have ever thought before but is it possible that we actually make hell out to be worse than it is and by that I don't mean that somehow hell won't be a horrible place that it won't be torment it absolutely will be because scripture tells us that it will be But I want us to look at a couple examples of past preachers who have, in my opinion, far, far overstepped 
scriptural bounds when it comes to their teaching about hell. This first quote comes from a very well-known preacher in the 19th century, Charles Spurgeon, where he said, In fire exactly like that which we have on earth, thy body will lie, asbestos-like, forever unconsumed, all thy veins, roads for the feet of pain to travel on, every nerve a string on which the devil shall forever play his diabolical tune of hell's unutterable lament. A Catholic priest named John Furness, uh, spelled with an I, but he was nicknamed Father Furness with an E because of his preaching about hell. He was a child evangelist of all things, and this is one of the messages that uh, he would often give uh, to really scare children into conversion. He, He said this, There is a boy, a young man, his eyes are burning like two burning coals. Two long flames come out of his ears. Sometimes he opens his mouth and breath of blazing fire rolls out of it. But listen, there's a sound, just like that of a kettle boiling. Is it really a kettle boiling? No. Then what is it? Hear what it is. It is the blood boiling in the scalding veins of that boy. The brain is boiling and bubbling in his head. The marrow is boiling in his bones. I would have dreaded having this man as a children's leader. But this dude was, uh, he was a evangelist in his day, and this is this was part of his message. And then Jonathan Edwards, who's one of the most well-known uh, Puritan preachers in the 18th century, he uh, preached the very famous message, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. Uh, but this is an excerpt from one of his messages where he references hell. He says, The body will be full of torment, as full as it can hold, and every part of it shall be full of torment. They shall be in extreme pain. Every joint of them, every nerve shall be full of inexpressible torment. They shall be tormented even to their fingers' ends. Their hearts and bowels and their heads and their eyes and their tongues, their hands and their feet will be filled with the fierceness of God's wrath. This is taught us in many scriptures. Now, I would just like to pause at this moment and ask if you can recall any single scripture where something like anything like what we've just read in these last three examples is taught. I can't think of one, but this is a lot closer to what most of us think of when we think about hell. We think about it being this just excruciating torture where where people are being like literally ripped apart and and like tortured to death and then miraculously put back together so they can be tortured to death again. That is not the image that scripture actually gives us. Scripture tells us it's a terrible place for sure. And it's a place you don't want to be, but it comes from a different mindset than what these preachers are approaching it as. It's not necessarily about the physical pain, although that's an aspect, it's about the spiritual pain, the emotional pain, the separation from God, and the fact that you are stuck as you were, as you are, with a whole bunch of other people who are stuck as they were and are. And we're going to get to that. But today, I want to look at an example from Scripture that we find in Luke 
16, which is a parable of Jesus, verses 19 through 31, where he talks about the rich man and Lazarus. I'm not going to take the time to read the entire parable, but I would encourage you to pause and go do that because there are a lot of specific things that I want to reference throughout this, this parable. But in summary, we know that the, the rich man did not treat Lazarus well when he was alive. Both of them die, and then the, the rich man ends up in torment. And the, uh, the man Lazarus ends up in Abraham's bosom. And both of these men are holding a conversation basically through Abraham, who says that there is a gulf fixed between them so that Lazarus or anyone else can't go to and from. However, they do have this ability to at least be aware of one another, at least in this parable that Jesus is telling. But there are some specific things that I want us to notice about the rich man that would fall into sharp contrast against some of the things that we heard these 18th and 19th century preachers and evangelists describing as far as what they describe hell to be like. So the first is that when we when we look at this example of the rich man and Lazarus, one of the things that we can notice is that, yes, obviously this rich man is in pain, but not so much that he is unable to speak. He's having a conversation here, and that does not strike me anyway as the kind of pain that uh, is described by someone like Jonathan Edwards, where every every joint in his body to the tips of his fingers is so full of pain. It's, it's as much pain as he can possibly have. We see this man having a conversation, and not just a conversation, but he's making requests He's forming arguments, uh, logical arguments about why Abraham should send people back or he should send Lazarus here, and he's uh, rebutting Abraham's position. So his mind is intact enough that he can process what's being said to him and he can form uh, a counter argument. He can respond. That is not the kind of thing that would be possible if someone was so distracted with pain from the tip of their head to the tips of their toes that that their body just could not even process anything else it's just not what we see and i don't want to to you know ring out this parable for maybe more than we should take from it but i think that that at the very least is something that we should take note of the bible says he's in torment but he's also asking questions and expecting things to be done for him, and so on and so forth. So just to consider those things. Now, the big question that we don't really often think about with regard to the rich man and Lazarus is, you know, we see what he asks. We see the the conversation that he has with Abraham and that he desires for Lazarus to basically be his errand boy. The question that we need to ask is not even so much about hell. It's actually about the rich man. The question we need to ask is that, yeah, the rich man's in hell, he's in torment, but was he any different? Had he changed in any discernible way as a result of being there? And as we consider that question, I want us to go back and just look at a couple specifics from this parable. The first thing that he requests of Abraham is to send Lazarus to cool my tongue. 
Then he says to send Lazarus to my father's house. And then when when Abraham finally says, none of that is on the table, it's not an option, he says, no, Father Abraham, I'm telling you that that you're wrong, that if someone did go, that they would believe, right? So he contradicts Abraham, and he basically tells him he's wrong. But notice how he treats Lazarus. He, He didn't care for Lazarus or treat him well when they were both alive. And Lazarus is finally, finally, out of what was by all estimations, a terrible life. He's finally in comfort. He's finally past the the pain and the discomfort of his earthly life. And all the rich man can think about is to to basically tell Lazarus to go do things for him. He wants Lazarus even to go back to his earthly life, where presumably he'll have to die again. The rich man doesn't seem to care for Lazarus at all. Nothing has changed. His heart is the same. He sees Lazarus the same. There's been no growth on his part. Even though he's dead, even though he's in torment, he's the same person that he was. So I want us to think about that as we carry that into Wednesday's discussion, because we'll be in Psalm 14 tomorrow. But I want us to to just hold that in our minds. Was the rich man any different uh, in hell? And I don't see any reason to think that he was. 